Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. You like scary movies? Not really, Mr. Ghostface. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 64, Scream. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And like horror movies, times are pretty scary, but they don't have to be uh, so long as we continue to look out for each other and practice social distancing. And it's hard, like I know. Uh, At the moment, cases in the UK are pretty much skyrocketing. Uh, They're implementing local lockdowns. But all I will say is if you're listening to this, continue to stay safe, wear a mask, wash those hands. Uh, Basically, what I'm saying is pretend you're ghost face and you've just murdered someone and you've got to wash those entrails off. I mean, that is pretty gross, but hopefully you get the picture. Um, I've come off a break week and it is very good to be back by the way. Um, I didn't actually have much of a break (laughs) in my break week um, because I can't seem to stop. But um, before that, the week before, I released Coraline. um, And Coraline was just such a delight to cover. The episode has really done well. Like it's done so much better than I thought it would. Uh, And the feedback has just been lovely. Uh, And Coraline is something that I think more people should watch. But I also think it's a great alternative, especially if you like The Nightmare Before Christmas and you've already seen The Nightmare Before Christmas, but you want something that's kind of equally gorgeous, fun and creepy for like a family movie night. So this episode is Scream and Scream was a listener choice. And I mentioned I was a bit apprehensive uh, to watch Scream, but I did watch it. What did I think? Well you're going to have to listen on because a horror movie doesn't reveal who the killer is till the end. So why would I do the big reveal early? That'd just be ridiculous. But the main thing about Scream is obviously it tells you how you can survive a horror movie. And it gives you the rules. You can never have sex. You can never drink or take drugs. 
And you can never, ever say, I'll be right back. I'll be right back after this trailer. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. Uh, I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Well, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act. She's always running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. under any circumstances say I'll be right back because you won't be back get another beer you want one yeah sure I'll be right back who do we make the rules the police are always on track if they watch palm night they say time he just kills by them don't answer the phone don't open the door don't try to hide A year after her mother's death, Sydney Prescott starts experiencing strange phone calls after the murder of popular, beautiful Casey Becker gutted outside her own home. The mysterious caller likes to taunt his victims and ask questions, the main one being, do you like scary movies? Home alone, Sydney manages to escape the mysterious ghostface killer's attack before her boyfriend Billy arrives and is arrested. But one by one, her friends are subjected to attacks and brutal killings and the identity of the killer remains unknown until they start avoiding the horror movie cliches. The cast of this movie, we have Nev Campbell as Sidney Prescott, David Arquette as Deputy Dewey Riley, Rose McGowan as Tatum Riley, Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers, Matthew Lillard as Stu Matcher, Skeet Ulrich as Billy Loomis, Jamie Kennedy as Randy Meeks, Roger Jackson as the voice of Ghostface and Drew Barrymore as Casey Becker. The movie was written by Kevin Williamson and it was directed by the one and only Wes Craven. Now, I've always been quite honest that although I enjoy some horror mix genre movies and I've covered a few movies that are actually considered horror, I am not a fan of horror uh, at all. This was the first time I'd actually seen Scream. I knew of it. Um, I knew certain scenes in the movie already um and so a lot of the history of scream and why scream is here is based admittedly on movies that i have not seen um and so i've had to do quite a lot of additional research that i probably wouldn't have to do on some of this just because simply i've not seen most of these movies um they're not really things that i am interested in uh Will I ever watch them? I mean, I'll never say never. But um, 
what I looked at is I actually wanted to look at the history of horror movies. Soteris Pedridis, in his book Anatomy of the Slasher Film, divides the slasher canon into three eras. The classical era, 1974 to 1993, the self-referential era, 1994 to 2000, and the neo-slasher cycle, 2000 to 2013. Scream, as the resurrector of the dying direct-to-video horror market, sits between a satirical slasher and a murder mystery. People's love of watching movies that are incredibly violent and bloody really goes back (laughs) a long time. Um, I mean, it goes back to ancient Rome, because... Romans loved watching people violently kill others. Um, I mean, if you've seen the film Gladiator, you will know exactly what I'm talking about uh, in its Colosseum. Um, So the audience's thirst for blood, so to speak, is not new to this century at all. But slasher movies, they actually started as plays originally. It was Maurice Tournier's The Lunatics in 1912, which caused a public outcry leading to the passing of what's known as the Hayes Code in 1930, which are a set of guidelines to govern the making of motion pictures and detailing acceptable levels of violence, sexual scenes, profanity, nudity and drug taking and basically all of the sort of stuff that in the 30s it was not deemed acceptable to show. They wanted to promote healthy, wholesome, family moral values in film. And by the way, the Hayes Code itself contains a lot of very outdated standards in today's world, lots of racist, homophobic and transphobic language. Um, So it's not in any way anything that is relevant to modern society. Um, The code itself was like voluntary, mandatory (laughs) in a way, because although the code was voluntary, in order to get your film played in American cinemas back then, you had to abide by it. So it was actually more mandatory. That didn't mean that movies that flouted the code didn't get made because they did and the standards society upheld themselves to eventually changed as society changed and so did the public's desire to see things depicted in cinema. Um, Just an example, uh, movies like 1959's Some Like It Hot, which is obviously probably one of the most famous Marilyn Monroe movies ever, that was not approved by the Hayes Code and that was basically due to the ideas around things like homosexuality and cross-dressing but the movie still remained a huge success. It ended up getting six Academy Award nominations and if the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences could recognise some like it hot, why couldn't the Hayes Code? It really signalled the end of the Hayes Code and opened up cinema to pretty much more extreme levels of violence starting with Alfred Hitchcock movies in the 60s and psychological horror thrillers like Psycho, which showed scenes previously deemed unacceptable by studios, including, bizarrely, a toilet flushing. And again, Psycho was massive, massive success. Um, And today is seen pretty much as the godfather of slasher movies and a huge influence to the whole genre. I will will admit, I've not seen Psycho. So I'm just going by what I've read online. Um, British studio Hammer, which is famous for its gothic horror movies, followed the success of Psycho, and that led to 70s exploitation films and grindhouse features, which prominently advertised sex and violence. Uh, hits like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Exorcist would become horror staples going forward and seen as grandfathers of the genre. And Wes Craven himself uh, would take the legend of Sawney Bean, who murdered and cannibalised over a thousand people and adapted it for The Hills Have Eyes in 1977. And obviously, we're going to come back to Wes Craven, obviously. 
But the horror genre truly started its golden age, so to speak, in 1978 with John Carpenter's Halloween. And Carpenter, who has featured on this podcast before for The Thing, which is episode 48, see, I'm not totally opposed to horror. Uh, Halloween spawned multiple sequels itself, as well as multiple copycat slasher movies. And they kind of followed a similar template of a mysterious figure stalking innocent teenagers. But many of the so-called original Golden Age movies are seen as cult classics with large followings even to this day. I'm talking the, the likes of A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th and Halloween remain pretty much perennial horror classics. Um, and it was interesting, actually, because when I set out to do a, a listener choice episode, um, two of the suggestions for this episode were <laughs> in that list um, because the original suggestions were Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream and Drag Me to Hell. So it could have been A Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween that I did today, but um, Scream prevailed. So the imitation movies that ended up coming out, and there are loads of them, by the way, and a lot of them are available on Amazon Prime Video. And they are often cheaply made and attempting to cash in on the fame of their more famous cousins. And this led to the director video sequels of the mid-80s to the mid-90s. And obviously the horror genre was just becoming tired and cliched. And as far as the fans, the true fans of the genre were concerned, a bit boring, actually. And after six Nightmare on Elm Street movies, nine Friday the 13th movies and five Halloween movies up to 1994, as well as numerous less well-known imitations, the genre really needed something new. And that came in the form of, not Scream, just yet, but it was Wes Craven. And that was with Wes Craven's New Nightmare in 1994. And I'll admit, I have seen bits of Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I haven't seen all of it. Um, it was actually on TV once and I didn't realise it was New Nightmare. Um, and that was basically because because of this movie in a movie setting, um, I didn't really know who any of the characters were. I just thought it was like a bit of like a scary drama or something. Um, and so I have seen bits of it. I've not seen it all. Um, and although canonically it is part of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, it's not part of the same continuity. Um, and it portrayed Freddy Krueger as a fictional movie villain within the movie within the movie. And the original star of A Nightmare on Elm Street, Heather Langenkamp, played herself, Heather Langenkamp, who decides to star in a new movie and has Freddy Krueger haunt her in the real world. And I definitely remember seeing that. Uh, and then I switched it off. Um, but most importantly, gone was the comical character that Krueger had become in sequels and he became more of what Craven originally wanted. A really menacing, dark, scary character. That's why I turned it off. Uh, Freddy Krueger, again portrayed by Robert Englund, would be credited as himself because Englund played the movie outside the movie version of Robert Englund, who was credited as Robert Englund. Uh, it ended up actually being the poorest performing of all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but its self-referential meta-humour was seen as refreshing and intelligent to not all, but some critics. The fact that New Nightmare commented on slasher movies, what they did wrong, and most importantly, how quickly the genre can become stale, but try and do something a bit different to try and revitalise it. In many ways, New Nightmare was just the precursor to Scream, um, itself obviously a self-referential satire, on the exact genre Wes Craven built 
his career on. The story of Scream, though, actually starts with a bit of true crime. I am actually a big fan of true crime podcasts, as are most of the planet. The idea for Scream actually came from the story of the Gainesville Ripper. Now, I want to start with a bit of a trigger warning. Um, And I've never done a trigger warning on this podcast before, but I'm going to because the story of the Gainesville Ripper, I'm not going to go into real detail or anything, but because the story contains mentions of violence and sexual assault, um, I want to let you know. So if this is a story that you'd rather not hear, so uh, I would recommend that you skip ahead two minutes or so. I'll make a mention of the times this story takes place in the episode. So if you do want to skip ahead to a specific time, the exact times will be in the show notes. But um, just a warning, if you do want to skip ahead, skip ahead now. So Danny Rowling was known as the Gainesville Ripper. He attempted to murder his father in May 1990 before going on to murder five students in Gainesville, Florida in August of 1990. He broke into the home of university freshmen Sonia Larson and Christina Powell. He sexually assaulted and murdered both young women before breaking into the apartment of Krista Hoyt the following day. He waited for her to return home before sexually assaulting and murdering her, uh, before decapitating her as well. The stories of the murders broke and students were taking extra safety precautions, such as sleeping in groups. Two days after Krista Hoyt's murder, Rowling again broke into an apartment and killed student Manny Taboada, before turning his attention to Taboada's roommate, Tracy Pauls, whom he sexually assaulted before murdering her. Rowling also made sure to pose the bodies of his victims for additional shock value to whoever found them. Initially, a University of Florida student named Edward Humphrey was suspected of the murders until Rowling was arrested on a burglary charge in September 1990. Police linked his tools to marks at the scenes of all of the murders, as well as audio diaries which confirmed his involvement. While arrested, Rowling also confessed to the murders of 55-year-old William Grissom, his 24-year-old daughter Julie and 8-year-old grandson Sean in Shreveport, Louisiana, which occurred in 1989. And if you're wondering what happened to a disgusting excuse for a human being, Danny Rowling, he was executed by lethal injection in Florida State Prison in 2006 after his appeal was rejected. Uh, His death was witnessed by many of his victims' relatives. The death penalty remains legal in the state of Florida and it was stated that Rowling's motives for going on the killing spree were to emulate the notoriety and infamy of Ted Bundy. The lack of any real motive would also be played out in Scream with actual killers, Billy and Stu, wanting notoriety for being the sole survivors of the framed killer, Neil Prescott, Sydney's father. Casey was implied to be killed because she dumped Stu. Sadly, this isn't the last true crime element of the story of Scream, but I want to move on from true crime to the state of the horror genre in the 90s. Because if this was Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors, which I've done an episode on, by the way, she would not be a healthy girl and would need a vast consumption of fresh blood and soon. Kevin Williamson's script for Scream originally started as an 18-page script treatment about a young woman alone in her home, taunted over the phone by a masked killer and remained as a short story, which was entitled Scary Movie. At the time, he was struggling financially and needed to sell a script to make ends meet. After his first script, Killing Mrs. Tingle, later renamed Teaching Mrs. Tingle, 
was bought in 1995 but remained in development hell. Scary Movie, as it was known right up until the final quarter of production on Scream, was written to satirise all the known horror cliches and takes reference from Halloween, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, When a Stranger Calls and Prom Night. In June 1995, he brought the script for Scary Movie to his agent Rob Paris, who warned him that the levels of gore and violence would make it nigh on impossible to sell. Nevertheless, the script went on sale on a Friday and received no interest. By the Monday following, a significant bidding war had started between Paramount, Universal and Morgan Creek. It's at this point we have to mention Harvey Weinstein. And I never like to mention Harvey Weinstein, but sadly, uh, (laughs) I have no choice uh, because he and his brother Bob ran Dimension Films post-Disney's acquisition of Miramax in 1993. Dimension, who distributed 1994's The Crow, also acquired the rights to the Halloween film series, released the sixth instalment in the same year, as well as started working with Robert Rodriguez on From Dust Till Dawn. Dimension, therefore, had horror chops, and the script was brought to the Weinstein's attention by Kathy Conrad and Richard Potter, The price for the script continued to rise and as studios began to drop out of the bidding, leaving only Synergy Pictures led by Oliver Stone and Miramax. In the end, Miramax won with a $400,000 bid, plus a contract for Kevin Williamson for two sequels. Wes Craven, uh, though approached initially by Bob Weinstein, refused the offer to direct Scream because at the time he was working on a remake of The Haunting. Other directors, including Robert Rodriguez, Danny Boyle, George A. Romero and Sam Raimi were considered, but none seemed to gel with the concept of a horror comedy. Craven was again approached, uh, but again declined. Uh, When production of The Haunting fell through, Craven found himself in need of work. And by that point, Drew Barrymore had approached the production team of her own accord to lobby for a role in the movie. She then signed on for the lead role of Sidney Prescott, Hearing of Barrymore's involvement, Craven contacted Weinstein, asked if the directing gig was still available, it was, and Craven signed on. Because he figured, if you can get Drew Barrymore involved in this movie, it's probably worth it. And Drew Barrymore's involvement was kind of odd initially, as horror casting always tended to be pretty much unknown actors. It was quite rare for a big name actor to show any interest, and you really didn't get much bigger than Drew Barrymore. And Drew Barrymore is someone who I just adore and love and respect. I think she's a genuine treasure in Hollywood. She's obviously actor, producer, entrepreneur. Literally, the woman has done it all. Uh, In 1995, she was a couple of years into her re-emergence in Hollywood after a well-documented battle with drugs and alcohol after finding fame as a child star. If you are interested in finding out a bit more about Drew Barrymore, have a listen to my episode on Charlie's Angels, which is episode 12, uh, because I go into a little bit more detail about Drew Barrymore. But I love her. She is a literal angel, completely. Uh, Anyway, so Drew got the part of Sidney Prescott, and this meant the production became somewhat more premiere. Uh, Other high-profile actors were attracted to the project, but then Barrymore was faced with additional commitments. Not wanting to leave Scream, she instead asked to play Casey Becker. And it's always a risk to kill off your most high-profile actor early in the movie. But again, this movie wanted to play off these tropes. It made complete sense. And also, so did Drew Barrymore. Uh, It had previously been done with Janet Leigh in Psycho, but generally, you don't kill off your main star. And this is something that Deep Blue Sea 
which I watched again recently, also does brilliantly. Uh, no spoilers for Deep Blue Sea, but um, it's good fun. Coincidentally, Drew Barrymore's great-aunt Ethel Barrymore starred in a slasher movie herself in the 1946 movie The Spiral Staircase. It was about a serial killer targeting disabled women. Ethel Barrymore would go on to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for that role. With Drew Barrymore leaving the role of Sydney, it was therefore available and up for grabs and the likes of Brittany Murphy, then Fresh from Clueless, episode 37, uh, <laughs> Melissa Joan Hart and Alicia Witt auditioned. Reese Witherspoon was approached but never auditioned. She wasn't really interested. Wes Craven had seen Nev Campbell in Party of Five, which was then a popular teen show, and asked her to audition. Campbell had not long completed work on The Craft, uh, which she played a supporting role as Bonnie, but longed for a leading role. And she read the script and she adored the character of Sydney, her innocence, determination and intelligence. Brooke Shields and Janine Garofalo auditioned for the role of Gail Weathers, but Courtney Cox, who was obviously Monica Geller in Friends at the time, approached the producers and wanted to play Gail, in many ways to go against her friendly, nice Monica image. They refused uh, but she continued to lobby for the part and she ended up getting it. Rose McGowan embodied the spunky, cynical but innocent nature of Tatum Riley and the female cast of the movie was complete and ultimately each character never feels like your typical horror movie female cardboard cutout character because while Nev Campbell dominates the movie, each female character is given agency and drive Despite the small screen presence of Drew Barrymore and the untimely end for Tatum in a cat flap, um, which apparently Rose McGowan was tiny enough to get through in real life. Skeet Ulrich, who I definitely remember was a thing in the mid-90s, got the part of Billy mainly due to his resemblance to a young Johnny Depp. Depp had obviously appeared in A Nightmare on Elm Street in a small role and Ulrich and Nev Campbell had worked together previously on The Craft. So producers felt like they had a really good chemistry with each other. David Arquette had originally been approached for Billy Loomis, but asked to read for Dewey Riley. He and Courtney Cox would fall in love on set. And they would go on to marry and have a child, but have sadly since divorced. Matthew Lillard, I told you he'd be back, Scooby-Doo fans, uh, actually was accompanying his girlfriend to an unrelated audition when he was spotted by casting director Lisa Beach who asked him to audition and he got the part of Stu. Henry Winkler, the actual Fonz, remains uncredited in the movie uh, and that's because he did not want to detract from the young cast. Roger Jackson, the voice of Ghostface, was initially only a temporary option until they found someone better. <laughs> I mean, you can't get much better. Uh, he never actually met any of the other actors but he was on set at all times performing the phone calls as they happened. Jackson was also the voice of the first alien in Titan AE. That's episode one of this podcast, which also starred Drew Barrymore, the more you know. The Weinsteins originally wanted to film in Canada to take advantage of cost cutting. However, Wes Craven demanded they film an American horror movie in America. Eventually, they decided upon California and the school scenes were set to be shot at Santa Rosa High School, which pretty much immediately objected upon reading the script. Despite three hours of debate, Santa Rosa High declined permission and Scream's high school shots were filmed at Sonoma Community Centre instead. Famously, the end credits thanks section states, no thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District Governing Board. Burn. 
Scene 118, which was the 40 plus minute finale, was shot over 21 nights at a vacant property in Tornales. It was laborious and intense for cast and crew, and it could only be filmed between dusk and dawn. So you can imagine not only having to work nights, but also having a finite amount of time to get your scene done. It was so intense that once production wrapped, t-shirts stating I survived scene 118 were distributed round to everyone. The famous Ghostface mask, who's actually called Father Death in the movie, was based on a design owned by a company called Funworld. And so KMB Effects were recruited to make a similar mask that had enough differences so as not to infringe copyright. The mask that they made wasn't deemed appropriate for use. And so Funworld was approached for permission to use their mask. And eventually, after a bit of back and forth, this was granted. When Billy states that they used corn syrup to fake his death in the movie, it is actually true because the movie did use a mix of corn syrup and food dye for over 50 gallons of fake blood, which was also smeared over the fake internal organs of Casey Becker, which was a model of Drew Barrymore, and Steve Orth, which was the actor kneeling behind a model in a chair. Uh, which I always find quite fascinating how they do stuff like that. But it is simply as easy as he's kneeling behind a model in a chair. But it looks so great. So what did I take from my first ever viewing of Scream? Here's what I took. So the opening scene with Drew Barrymore is pretty iconic, actually, and, and genuinely scary. That's probably about the limit of scares that I will accept. I really enjoyed the subversion of tropes. I also thought it was quite obvious, and I don't know if anyone else thought this on first viewing, but to me it was obvious there was more than one killer because of the differences in the kills, because Casey's killer is quite efficient, but when Ghostface comes for Sydney for the first time, he's a bit of a bumbling idiot. It's more like a comedy because he's just falling over all the time. And this actually works quite well in retrospect when you know who the killers are. Because the bumbling killer could have only been Stu. Because there's no way that Billy could have got changed and up through the window in time. So it kind of makes complete sense, actually. Um, controversially, though, and I feel like I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. I much prefer The Cabin in the Woods. And it's not that I didn't like this movie because I really did like it. And without it, we probably wouldn't have The Cabin in the Woods. Um, and arguably, this movie has had an impacting legacy on horror, including the creation of new franchises and the resurrection of older ones like Halloween. But when I was looking into this movie and what this movie has done, it kind of felt a little bit to me like the Scream franchise has kind of ended up becoming what Scream was trying to satirise which is both ironic and also kind of a little sad because I've not seen any of the sequels and I'm not saying that I won't, but I feel like this movie, as a standalone movie, I think would just be phenomenal as an effective satire of the horror genre, which does churn out sequel after sequel. It just feels very inorganic that it has sequels, but maybe I should just reserve judgment for if and when I see them. Scream also, ironically, created its own spoof movie legacy with the actual title Scary Movie coming out in 2000, followed by four sequels. I will admit that I have seen Scary Movie. I saw Scary Movie before this, which 
probably is completely the wrong way to do it. But now I actually get most of the jokes in Scary Movie. So <laughs> that's something. Um, unfortunately, Scream also spawned some further true crime instances of copycat killings. These are not as graphic in nature, and I'm not going to go into much detail on these either. So I don't think these need a trigger warning. But um, it included the murder of Gina Castillo by her own son and his friend, who claimed that they were inspired after seeing Scream. Uh, they even had ghost face masks and a voice changer. It also includes the attempted murder of Ashley Murray by his friends, who had watched the movie before the attack, and the murder of Alice Beaupere, who was stabbed 42 times by a 17-year-old boy wearing a ghost face mask. It's an unfortunate byproduct really um that such controversies are kind of surrounding this movie because you could argue that any horror movie could entice someone to do something similar and i have not seen any more intense horror movies like anything like saw i refuse <laughs> i refuse to watch saw you could argue that there are people out there who would probably think that they might want to do something in that movie um it's just a shame, really, that the mask itself has become so synonymous with Scream and the Scream franchise that anyone who would choose to wear it and commit a crime will inevitably be linked to this movie. Does what kids watch influence them to do bad things? Because I don't think it does. And I've never thought that it does. I think you have to be of a certain persuasion in order to be persuaded by media to do something. Um... You know, for example, violent video games. I play violent video games. It doesn't mean that I want to go out and be violent to people. So I think it's very difficult with a movie like Scream to really link anything that's kind of happened to anyone to the movie and for the movie to be blamed for that. Because there are certainly worse movies out there and I refuse to watch all of them. Right, on to the feature that I like to do called the obligatory Keanu reference. And this is where I try to, well, essentially link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. How? Like, how was I supposed to do this? I don't know. It's pretty much the worst one ever. And I do have a backup, but that's just, that's rubbish too. <laughs> so the obligatory Keanu reference for this movie, for Scream, is that Drew Barrymore starred with Keanu Reeves in Babes in Toyland. <laughs> it's really bad. It's literally the worst. It's rubbish. But the only other thing that I thought of was I know that he was in a movie. It was like a, a thriller more than a horror, I think. It was called Knock Knock. And the only reason that that kind of came up to me was that both of these movies are kind of listed on Wikipedia as home invasion movies. That's the... It's this really bad link, but... Pick. Pick one of those, and that will be the obligatory Keanu reference. It was really hard. I tried. Anyway, so Scream was released on the 20th of December 1996 in the US in a period usually reserved for Christmas movies. And this was a tactical decision by Bob Weinstein, who argued that a Christmas release would work in Scream's favour, as opposed to an October release. Initially, this seemed to have backfired when Scream debuted at number four in the US box office with a meagre 12.2 million in its first week. That was against the number one release the same week, which was Beavis and Butthead Do America. Uh, Jerry Maguire was at number two, and 101 Dalmatians was at number three. Scream, however, 
went by very positive word of mouth. And in its second week, it increased 38.7% and continued to do well week on week just from word of mouth, people watching the movie and people loving it, which is quite impressive because usually from what I've seen looking at box office, and I do look at box office for pretty much every episode. I love going on Box Office Mojo. It's one of my favourite places to be. Um, Generally, if a movie has a bad first week, that tends to be it. (laughs) It tends to be a sliding descent. But Scream just continued to do exceptionally well. Um, The movie cost $14 million and it ended up making $173 million worldwide. Without adjusting for inflation, it's the 20th highest grossing horror movie of all time. And it was also the highest grossing slasher movie until 2018's Halloween. Again, incredibly impressive numbers. And I know I mentioned earlier about why has this movie got sequels? That's why it's got sequels, duh. Uh, Because it made a ridiculous amount of money uh, for Miramax. So of course, sequels came. And as I said, arguably... In order to dispel the cliches around horror movies, Scream technically shouldn't have any sequels. But it has three sequels, with a fourth confirmed recently with the remaining cast, including Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox and David Arquette, all reprising their roles. It's also the first Scream movie to not be directed by Wes Craven, who unfortunately died in 2015. A TV show was also produced by MTV and ran for three seasons, the third season being a reboot. It wasn't connected with the movies at all, but its season one finale did pay tribute to Wes Craven. Right, over to social media. And what I like to do each episode is I like to put the fears out on social media. But because this episode came from a Twitter poll, I expected positive and plentiful comments. And I really did get some positive and plentiful comments. So... Over on Twitter, we start with at at the Flix pod, who said, When Scream came out, I was reviewing films for a small press magazine in my spare time. As a result, I was invited to the press showings in our local and now sadly missed Odeon. I watched Scream, which impressed me. But the audience, apart from me, were two hardened film critics. I was curious to see how the film would play with a proper audience. So I went back on opening night. I was not disappointed. Two women watching the film spent more time with jumpers over their heads than actually watching the film. Great film, great audience, a horror classic. At Pulp Serial said, Wes Craven had just directed a horror film about horror films in 1994 with New Nightmare. He practically perfects that concept with Scream. Kevin Williamson shows off his love for horror in the script with a bounty of references and obvious influence from Prom Night. At 90s Court said, I actually just watched it as well. Also just for my show. This is a super weird take, but after the opening sequence with Drew Barrymore, the movie kind of went downhill from there. At BLC Agnew said, What made Scream feel so cutting-edge and modern has now allowed it to age gracefully into a canny period piece. It's conversations about its own genre. Straddling two eras of horror, it pays homage to classic slashers while helping pave the way for modern, self-aware, scary movies. Scream also just works. The performances hit the same exaggerated, ironic realism as Craven's direction. The mystery had a couple of genuinely clever twists. The kills are suitably shocking and the finale is an all-timer. The sequels might have wandered, but this remains a classic. At AFC Film Geek said, My favourite movie of all time. It was a fresh horror film at the time and inspired the teen slasher genre. Amazing soundtrack, amazing twist. Arguably the greatest horror opening scene of all time. A Wes Craven masterpiece. 
At Filmbusters, Ben said, It's aged like a fine wine as it's still scary, cutting and satirical over 20 years later. The young cast are on fire, the plot endlessly twisting, and it breathed life into the horror genre, which was starting to die on its feet. The awareness of horror movie logic was unprecedented. At Oral underscore MFC said, Wes pulls out so many horror tropes of the previous 20 years, subverting some while playing others straight and hanging the biggest lampshade on the whole thing through Randy. Lillard gives the standout performance for me and the scene as he bleeds out is chef's kiss. At Movie Reviews In said, It's a perfect blend of meta, comedy and horror. So basically a kaiju appendage sized piece of awesomeness. And uh, FYI, unlike on your podcast, Sam, I can't say the D word on here. <laughs> I'll leave it to the listeners' imagination what the D word was. Uh, <laughs> uh, at Geek Salad Radio said, While Scream holds the honour of being the first mainstream aware horror movie and a fun one at that, it may also be the most late 90s film that ever late 90s ed. Any arguments to the contrary will be directed to the name Skeet Ulrich. At Need Three Mugs said, For me, the opening scene of the first film with Drew Barrymore's Casey was the most terrifying thing, especially living alone. Because it's not using a fantasy horror character like Freddy or Pennywise, it was that. At TSPOE underscore pods said, While I remember enjoying it, it has never been one that I've gone back to. Just never felt the need. Some stories when they are told, I can hear over and over. Others, I just nod my head and not really listen. Over at Instagram, at Black Case Diaries podcast said, When I first watched, I was very, very upset about the beginning. The trailer made it look like Drew Barrymore was the lead. And when she died, I knew that literally all bets were off and anything could happen. It was meant to be a parody, but I cried when she was just feet away from her parents as she tried to cry for help. I enjoyed the rest of it so much more, but my sister had to pause it so I could gather myself. And uh, we finally, yay, have a comment over on Facebook. We very rarely get Facebook comments, so I'm super happy. And it's a long one. So Claudia said, Okay, so you know I love scary movies. I like Scream all right. Wes Craven, RIP, gave us Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes. So I was a bit surprised with Scream as I felt it was a bit tame. Take this with a grain of sand. I do like me the Saw franchise though. For what it is, Scream is great. I wasn't necessarily impressed with the meta idea as I felt the idea was covered nicely by another one of Craven's creations, New Nightmare. I did like the refreshing new spin on the teenage slashers. Ghostface is a good change from the sarcastic Freddy or the looming Michael. Won't touch the mess that is poor Jason. The choice of actors is spot on. And we were all shocked with Drew's death right on. It was on mark to what the film was to be. I also like the film's realistic premise. We don't have a supernatural aspect to Ghostface, which is a great change. Scream is a good franchise overall. I think that the franchise's success is only overshadowed by that of Saw in terms of story. It's difficult to keep a franchise going on a similar pretense, but Scream gives it a good shot. I love that Scream brought about the scary movie franchise. Those films are hilarious, if a bit adolescent in their humour. I don't like many of the films that came in Scream's shadow. Without the guiding hand of Craven, they come off poor replicas. Great choice, my sis. I'd love to see you cover House of a Thousand Corpses or perhaps Devil's Rejects or Serbian film. Okay, so not the latter, just to hear your insight. And um, Claudia, I love you. You're my sister from another mister, but I've heard of all of those movies and I am not going anywhere near them ever. <laughs> ever. Are you, you could not make me, you could not pay me money to watch House of a Thousand Corpses. No, no, no. <laughs> 
imagine, imagine. I was scared to watch Scream. So yeah, it's not going to happen. Thank you to everyone for your comments. It's so lovely to get such a lovely wide variety of comments. And I completely understand where a lot of you are coming from with Scream. Um, I am actually really glad that doing this episode has got me to watch Scream. Um, and I hope that if I do watch any sequels, that they at least attempt to live up to the original. As I said, despite previously mentioning the irony of a movie so dedicated to subverting tropes, that it seemingly goes back on that by having sequels. Um, I've heard that two is good, uh, but I've heard very mixed things about three and four. And horror is experiencing a renaissance right now. Um, I'm not sure that's all completely down to Scream, but with the passing of Wes Craven, I hope the resurrection of this franchise is worth it because the new movie has quite a lot to live up to. I kind of fear that nothing could ever hold a candle to the original brilliance of that initial scene with Drew Barrymore. And that really stands up, I think, to me, as one of the greatest opening scenes of any movie ever, apart from X-Men 2, because X-Men 2 is better. But <laughs> having the movie kill Drew Barrymore will remain genre-defining. I actually hope that the new movie that they make isn't afraid of killing off some of that core cast. Because I think, if anything, that's what this franchise needs. It needs the Drew Barrymore effect of, oh my God, you've just killed off your main character. And I think more movies should actually do that because I think that really puts this quite high, actually. In all of the horror movies that I've seen, and I still do prefer Cabin in the Woods, but it's quite high, actually, in the horror movies that I have seen, purely based off its ability to surprise uh, and I was quite surprised by how much I enjoyed this movie. So, um, yeah, thanks for making me watch Scream. Uh, it was a little bit scary, but um, I did survive. So, <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, as always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Scream. If you do like this episode uh, or any episode, please take a moment to give me a five-star rating and review. And a massive thank you to people who've recently given me a five-star rating and review. I do like to shout people out on social media. So if you do give me a five-star rating and review, let me know what name you've done the rating under and I'll give you a shout out over social media. You could also just tell your friends, tell your family about this podcast, especially if they like Scream. Admittedly, I don't have very many horror movies in my arsenal. But if you do like this episode on Scream, you might also like episode five, Cabin in the Woods, which I do think is better than Scream. I'm really sorry, Scream fans, but Cabin in the Woods is pretty perfect, actually. Also, episode 11, The Mummy, and I know that The Mummy is more of like an action-adventure, romance-comedy-horror, but the horror is actually quite effective in The Mummy. Um, and it's also a movie that my mother still won't watch because it's too scary. So <laughs> watch The Mummy. Uh, episode 48, The Thing... Uh, obviously John Carpenter, obviously sci-fi horror. It's pretty genre-defining in itself, but I absolutely love the suspense and I love the creature work and everything about the thing is perfect, really. So uh, listen to that. And the previous episode, episode 63 on Coraline, because Coraline does not get enough love and it's genuinely quite frightening. Uh, as soon as you see the other mother, <laughs> you will be quite scared. Give Coraline a bit of a chance. Um, 
it's obviously not as scary as Scream, but uh, it is well worth a watch. Obviously, let me know. Do you think I got my recommendations right? To be fair, there's not much to recommend. <laughs> uh, but let me know. Now, the next episode is inevitably also controversial. And I've been quite controversial in this episode. But we are ramping up the controversy now. Uh, because the next episode is Ghostbusters. <laughs> but not the Ghostbusters that you were probably expecting. I wanted to actually shed some love on the 2016 Ghostbusters reboot. And I also wanted to get somebody on board to help me out. And so I have enlisted Film Stories head honcho Simon Brew to come on Verbal Diorama. And we have a lot of things to say about Ghostbusters. The episode has actually already been recorded. So there won't be any listener comments for Ghostbusters. But do you know what? Considering it's Ghostbusters 2016, that's probably a good thing. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. If you wish to support the show financially, you can do so over at patreon.com slash Verbal Diorama. I actually have a little goal now. I'm looking into ways to give patrons more perks. And so I would like to try and get 20 new patrons by the end of 2020. If I can, that's a further eight patrons. So if you are looking to become a patron, now is really an awesome time to do it because as soon as I get 20 patrons, I'm actually going to start giving even more stuff and that may include additional episodes for patrons. Actually, it does include additional episodes for patrons. So if you would like to support the show, uh, go over to Patreon and sign up and obviously a massive thank you to the patrons of this podcast, to Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike and Griff. They all told me that they liked scary movies, so uh, I just assumed. Obviously, if you also wish to buy some merch, uh, you can check it out. It's over at teespring.com slash stores slash verbal diorama and all purchases that are made in the store help support the future of this podcast. I'm hope I'm going to be looking at getting some new hosting in the new year, which costs a little bit more money than my current host. So basically, everything will help. I plow any money that I make goes back into trying to make the podcast even better. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me verbaldiorama at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go over to my website, verbaldiorama.com, which I still don't update, but one day I will. Um, and obviously, as I mentioned, Simon Brew from Film Stories is going to be on the next episode. But if you want to check out Film Stories, which is the website that he runs and the magazine that he also runs, <laughs> he is essentially my boss uh, because I write stuff for him. Um, then obviously check out the magazine check out the articles online, click some links, buy some mags, you know the drill. You like scary movies? I think I kind of might. But not enough to check out anything more extreme than this. Sorry. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>